Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, um, we have a lot of, um, there are a lot of things that I want to share with you tonight. Um, I'm going to see if I can get to the full, uh, what is it, the whole nine yards or the whole ten steps, uh, or at least uh, um, nine of them, uh, and maybe touch on the tenth either today tonight or tomorrow morning. Um, So far, we've gone through intention, intention for well-being, to be happy, mindfulness as a basic tool of of well-being, gratitude that opens up the heart and creates a space and connects us with all the blessings in our life. Opening up, working with the the hard stuff as a direct pathway to um, to joy, because we're not afraid, and we can deepen our understanding <clears throat> and tenderize our heart uh, when there's that going on. And then uh, we talked about integrity, about that bliss of blamelessness as the foundation for inner peace and letting go letting go of stuff letting go of busyness crowdedness uh, letting go of our stories letting go of control Um, and I want to mention one more aspect of that letting go I mentioned that I'd touch a little bit on it um, this afternoon and that is the the full expression of a mind and a heart that can let go, which is generosity. Uh, as, as Howie said, the, the Buddha uh, would teach generosity as the first thing to, uh, to lay people, even before meditation or morality even, or, um, or wisdom or patience, because... It's something that everybody can relate to, how good it feels to, uh, to share. And it is the active expression of letting go and also the, um, the 
understanding, experience of interconnectedness, it feels great to share, isn't it? And when we don't, we feel somewhat disconnected. We feel lonely or isolated. Um, and so uh, this is something that can be practiced and it's a great, it's a wonderful practice. And just want to mention both about giving and receiving, how we touched on it earlier today, uh, just a bit, that um, sometimes people naturally can give, but receiving is a whole other thing. Um, that, oh, I don't deserve it, or I'll be overwhelmed, or I'll be indebted, or, oh, I put myself last. And uh, just if, that, if that's you in that equation, if you see that, that, you, that giving comes naturally, but receiving is a little bit more challenging, I just wanted to share with you a, a piece around uh, exchanging of gifts that, um, that might tweak this a bit. And that is, on a karmic level, the, the power karmic impact of, of a gift exchange depends on the purity in the heart of the one giving, the purity of the gift, and the purity in the heart of the one receiving. So, if you aren't able to receive, you're actually blocking some, some of the, the karmic impact for somebody. You maybe have had that experience when you've gotten something for somebody and you've given them a gift and you're so excited and say, oh, I got this for you. And they say, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You ever have that experience? Oh, why did you do You shouldn't have done that. And then you think, oh, maybe I shouldn't have. (laughs) But whether or not you think that, there's not that same sense of completion. But when somebody says, Oh, thank you so much. It feels good, doesn't it? So just keep in mind that to receive is really an act of generosity for, for the other person, towards the other person as well. You become what's called a field of merit for their, their good intention, their, good, their wholesome action. And giving can be practiced as well. You don't want to give more than is reasonable for you to share. You want to include yourself in that giving and not, uh, not deplete yourself or think it's up, for you, up to you to, to save everybody or uh, put yourself last. You want to include yourself in that generosity. But giving is one of the greatest sources of, of joy there is. And every time you're in the middle of a, a generous act, even the smallest act, just notice how good it feels. Like that quote that I, I shared from the Buddha. He says, oh, thinking, I'm being generous now. Oh, how good this feels. So that kind of rounds out the letting go for now. <clears throat> and then for the rest of your life, you can practice <laughs> it because that's the key to freedom. Okay. I want to uh, particularly focus tonight on the seventh, eighth, and ninth steps in this sequence that I put together that are basic qualities of heart that the Buddha spoke about uh, in, in great depth uh, or, and, and with, with profound teachings. 
and they are all about opening the heart. You probably have gotten from now th by now that this is not just about being impersonally aware. There's a kind awareness inherent in, in skillful, skillful attention. And it starts with learning to be kind and loving towards ourselves. As we can get that more and more, we're really hitting pay dirt of all the goodness that wants to come out. But if you are somehow um, blocked or it's hard for you to be kind and loving to yourself, um, which is so common, you've got a lot of company if this is a challenge, for you, but you don't do anybody a service by, by being, by feeling unworthy. And part of the, the process is really seeing who you are, what shines through that you might not even realize. We're often the last to know, but this is so key. And as has been mentioned here, this, this retreat, this, any retreat, I see as a practice and a process of getting to make friends with ourselves. That's one way that you can think of what we're doing. We're sitting here seeing all the mind stuff that comes through, all the moods that come through, all the physical sensations that come through, and we're learning to accept and embrace them all. There's a, a quote um, I love, I mentioned it, one of the uh, groups by Robert Bly. He says, uh, any, any part of us that we do not, any part of our personality, maybe I already said it here, uh, any part of our personality that we do not learn to um, accept and embrace will become hostile to us. If we don't like our anger, then that becomes the thing that we keep ourselves from from accepting and touching and it's got us in a in a dance in a struggle but if you can see oh yeah this also is part of being human or my sadness or my grief or my loneliness or my uh, my wanting or my lust or whatever it's all part of being human and so part of the process is really seeing beyond our filters and seeing, oh yes, I can embrace the whole package. Now that means being willing to let go of being perfect. Jane was talking uh, in, about forgiveness, about not being enough. We have these standards that we can never measure up to often and they're merciless. One day it occurred to me, I, I had seen that perfectionist streak in myself. You know, if I, if I, wanna, if I do something, I want to do it just right. And um, I could, used to be really hard on myself. And one day it occurred to me, the best you can do as a perfectionist is break even. You do it perfectly, okay, that's the way I'm supposed to do it. 
and anything less and you've blown it. This is a, a standard you wouldn't hold anybody else up to. But we do this to ourselves. Uh, a, a line that I love in um, the Third Zen Patriarch, Verses on the Faith Mind by the Third Zen Patriarch, Sengstan, uh, which is my favorite piece of, of Dharma wisdom, um, this whole treatise. You can Google it, Verses on the Faith Mind, in case you're, I'll get 20 notes. What is that again? <laughs> Verses on the Faith Mind, or the Third Zen Patriarch of China. And there's one of these brilliant lines is to live in the highest realization, to live in this realization, are the words, is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To live in the highest realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To let go of being perfect then you know you've really made it right of course you don't want to strive for non-perfection but <laughs> but all you can do is the best you can do can you do any better than the best than your best no and when you look back on your life you were if you could have done any better, you probably would have. Uh, Sylvia Borstein has a, an all-purpose response no matter what the situation or where she is in her life. Somebody asks, hi, how are you? And she says, oh, I couldn't be better. <laughs> it always works. Because if you could, you would. <laughs> I couldn't be better. So to realize that given where you are, that's where you are. And there's, that doesn't mean to just kick back and say, oh, well, okay, well, that's, you know, that's all I can do. No, you want to, there's a fulfillment in doing the best you can, but not to put pressure on yourself to do better than the best you can. So learning to love ourselves. And as I, I said earlier in the retreat, there's something in you that is rooting for your happiness. Remember I talked about that? You do really want to be happy. It's a very pure, wholesome quality in that, that you are, you are um, born with, given with. So to really access that wholeness and that wish for your well-being, and then just seeing where you're at and, um, and learning to accept and love yourself just as you are. And as we talked about, uh, when it's hard to accept the, the stuff that you see, that's where the self-compassion comes in. It's okay, dear. You're just being human. But to learn to forgive ourselves for being just where we are. This is a really important piece in this, in this process. And usually, we are looking at our flaws. And there we are, just feeling more and more flawed. 
I want to share with you another way of doing this. This is from a, uh, a passage that uh, probably some of you are familiar with. Uh, Jack Cornfield put this passage in his book, uh, The Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace. Listen to this, this way of doing it. In the Babemba tribe of Africa, when a person acts irresponsibly or unjustly, he is placed in the center of the village alone and unfettered. All work ceases and every man, woman, and child in the village gathers in a large circle around the accused individual. Then each person in the tribe speaks to the accused one at a time, each recalling the good things the person in the center of the circle has done in his lifetime. Every incident, every experience that can be recalled with any detail and accuracy is recounted. All his positive attributes, good deeds, strengths, and kindnesses are recited carefully and at length. This tribal ceremony often lasts for several days. At the end, the tribal circle is broken, a joyous celebration takes place, and the person is symbolically and literally welcomed back into the tribe. Pretty good tribe to hang out with, isn't it? <laughs> if that was the first time you, you heard that, Perhaps as I was reading, you're thinking, oh, what are they going to do to this guy? Oh, my God. And then when you hear they tell about all the good things that person has done, doesn't it make sense? They just forgot. And if you keep on telling yourself all the bad things you do or are, That's what you keep on looking at. You look through that filter, not seeing or remembering all your goodness. And I know it's been so beautiful uh, these days hearing people talk about how they're getting more and more in touch with, with what's underneath whatever those judgments are. Oh, it's really good inside. It, it's, it's, so, it's such a, a precious thing that you're giving yourself. So to for, first, to forgive yourself for being just who you are, I'd like to just, we'll do a little bit of an exercise. You don't have to write anything down, but just uh, before we go on, um, just reflect on this. You might close your eyes as you do this. And ask, um, ask yourself, what do I need to forgive myself for? And I'm not just talking about the past. We've, we've gone through that a bit. I'm talking about who you are. Maybe your body or your mind or your, your habits of anger or impatience or attachments. Maybe your personality. Oh, I'm insecure, I'm weak, I'm whatever. Maybe your accomplishments. Just what, would, what do you need to forgive yourself for? I'll be quiet for a moment. How do you not measure up somehow inside? 
And then I'd like to ask you, what, what would you need to understand in order to truly forgive yourself? You might imagine someone else harden themselves for not being good enough in this way. Would you able, be able to forgive him or her? And let the wisest and most compassionate part of you forgive that confused being that somehow doesn't measure up or is hard. And just let yourself feel that compassion. Just forgive yourself. As Jane read from that poem the other night, um, forgive yourself, now is the only time you have to be whole. Now is the sole moment that exists to live in the light of your true self. Perfection is not a prerequisite for anything but pain. Please, oh please, don't continue to believe in your disbelief. This is the day of your awakening. The key to forgiving yourself, I hope that you're getting, it's right in, intrinsic to these teachings, and that is not taking ownership of those different aspects of yourself. What in the teaching is called anatta, seeing through that sense of self and just seeing it's, it's not, it doesn't have to define who I am. I am not necessarily, I'm not my anger. There's anger that's part of being human, but anger just arises. I'm not my thoughts. If you had any control over your thoughts, you'd only have beautiful thoughts of blessing humanity all the time. But others come through. So there they are coming through. I was saying this in one of the groups um, today. It was such an incredible revelation when in one, on one retreat it occurred to me, I realized I don't have control over my mind. That might sound discouraging, but it's actually great news because if I don't have... Those thoughts and those patterns and those... Those moods, they just come on their own. I can't control what thought is going to come at any moment. I can train the mind and train the heart, but it's such a relief. If I don't have control over my mind, I don't have to blame myself for what comes through. It's just, oh, that's an interesting thought blowing up the world or whatever it is. Oh, okay, you know. If you're not bothered by your thoughts, you're not taking them seriously. And if you can have a sense of humor, I might have said this, if you can go from, oh gosh, look at my mind, to, wow, look at the mind.
mind do its thing. That makes all the difference, just not taking it personally. And the same with your body that's doing its best to serve you your whole life. And you don't have control. It follows its own laws. You want to do what you can to support it, but it follows its own laws. And old age, sickness, and death are part of the deal here. So in forgiving yourself, you're just not taking ownership or taking personally the habits that you've cultivated because it's all about habits of mind and here you are learning a new habit, a lot of new habits of mind, kindness towards yourself, towards life, clarity, seeing clearly, compassion, all of those are, are habits that lead to true well-being because then you see who you really are. So starting with forgiving ourselves, I just wanted to underscore that piece and uh, echo what Jane said. And then more positively, not just tolerating and forgiving, okay, but really seeing who you genuinely are. This is, uh, I can find it here. A great Tibetan master, Nyosho Kempo, he says, Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlightenment itself, is present in everyone. Its essence is forever pure and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing Buddha nature and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. That's what we're after. And you might say, oh no, you know, like in, in that... Uh, in that awakening uh, uh, now poem where she says, uh, oh no, I can't cross the, the threshold. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm not worthy, my motives aren't pure, my meditation isn't deep and surely I haven't practiced enough. My prayers are sometimes insincere. I still chew my fingernails and the refrigerator isn't clean. Do you value your reasons for staying small more than the light shining through the open door? So, to really get who you are is an important part of this process. Then everything shines through. But as we, most of us know, this is not so easy. And you're looking at somebody talking from experience. I did not like myself growing up. I winced in the mirror for, oh, the first 17, 18 years of my life, uh, and then for the next 15 or 20 in one way or another. But, you know, when I went from crew cut to growing my hair long, I could join the club. Okay, maybe I'm okay. But I didn't, it, it took me a, a while to learn to uh, to like myself. And if somebody said, it's possible to love yourself, I would have said, I don't think in this lifetime. I'm here to tell you it's possible. And I wanted to share with you uh, a, a uh, loving kindness practice f towards yourself 
that I stumbled upon in my own practice that really was a turning point for me. You know, we've been doing the loving kindness, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be peaceful. And I was doing it, this is on one retreat, um, when um, I uh, took six weeks to do loving uh, Brahma Vihara, loving kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity uh, practices. A uh, six week period, I really wanted to work on that and open my heart. And the first week was um, love, loving kindness towards yourself. I think I said you start towards yourself. And there I was saying, you know, oh, may I be safe, may I be happy. And I was kind of okay. I wasn't giving myself a hard time, which was big, but I was not head over heels in love with myself either. It's like, all right, you know, I'll be safe. And then all of a sudden, at one day, after about three days, somebody came to mind who I knew really loved me. I didn't know why, but it was clear, wow, that person really does love me. And then I thought, this would be so much easier if I could just see what they see. And then I magically connected the dots and I said, well, what do they see anyway? Why do they love me so much? And that's when I hit upon this way of doing the, the metta that I just want to share with you for a moment. So I'd like you to sit up and um, so you're here for it. And uh, close your eyes, go inside. And I'd like you to bring to mind somebody who you share a, a, a sweet, loving connection. It, and it can be a, a child, it can be a pet, it can be a friend. Uh, just somebody, when you're around each other, it's just, it just flows. And the heart op is open. And you might have an image of this person or being right in front of you. Maybe they're smiling back at you. Oh, thanks for picking me. Oh, hi. <laughs> and as you see their, their face, just feel that sweet flow between you. It's so magical and mysterious that we have these unique connections with each being in our life. And just enjoy this one for a moment. And now what I'd like you to do is just imagine your consciousness can travel and inhabit their reality. Imagine being them and seeing their friend through their eyes. Who do they see? when they're with their, their, their lovely friend. What touches them about you? Maybe your playfulness or your kindness or your care or your sincerity or your many, many things. Drink it all in, as one poet says. Just see who you are. And see if, from their perspective, you're worthy of happiness. 
That's probably all they wish for you. They just enjoy you so much. Oh, may you really see who you are. And wish yourself some loving thoughts from their perspective. May you truly be happy and see all the goodness inside. Just wish that for yourself from their perspective. And now imagine your consciousness can travel back and come right back inside your own body. And from the inside, stay connected to what your friend sees. And wish yourself well. May I see all the goodness inside and share my love well. May, and you can say it from second person, may you truly be happy. You can say that to yourself. Just get who you are. Okay, you can open your eyes if you'd like. Now, if you could see, and I hope you let your experience be however it is. If, you, if that didn't, you didn't connect with that, it's okay. Uh, just know that that's a place to, to work on. But if you could see even just a glimpse of what your friend sees, then, as I like to say, the jig is up. You can't pretend you're not worthy anymore. And it's just more and more seeing and giving energy to that. Isn't it interesting? Everybody else could see it. If you met somebody, let me ask, if you met a, a new friend who really resonated with you, who really understood you, and who understood your hopes and your fears, liked your... Uh, liked your sense of humor, enjoyed your taste, and really got you, really got you well, how would you feel about meeting somebody like that? Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> There's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. <laughs> Only one. But they are unfortunately inside your own body. <laughs> so you don't see. But if you saw yourself from the outside, you'd be saying, where have you been all my life? <laughs> what a neat human being this is. Get who you are. And the more you get who you are, the more you want to be kind and take care of yourself. Really take care of yourself. And you might just simply ask at any moment, what do I need right now for well-being? That's a, a really valuable question. What do I need? What will really support my well-being and, and activate that place of, uh, that really wants to be happy? and you take good care of your body, and you take good care of your heart and your mind, and you let in the love that's coming your way because there's a lot of love coming your way. This is a, 
another practice that I, I talk about. You know, we can, we can somehow be afraid to let in all the goodwill or the love coming our way. This is an important practice. There's so much goodness coming your way. And every time somebody smiles at you or says, hi, how are you doing? And is, there's a, a, a flash of goodwill coming towards you, don't miss it. And as a, you try this. This has been a very powerful practice of mine in the last, last recent years. When somebody is sending some good energy or goodwill or kindness your way, feel that connection. All it takes is a moment. And see them as an agent of life letting you know that you are loved. It's just life in that form letting you know you are worthy of this kindness and this love. And once you start having your radar out for it, you'll see it everywhere. There's so much goodness coming your way. If you can just relax and say, oh yeah, why not? Of course. And there's so much, it will fill you. You can't hold it all. What, what to do other than just send it back out? And so you become what I call a meta-recycling machine. <laughs> there's goodwill coming towards you and out. And there can be healthy boundaries when it's not goodwill. That's another part of taking care of yourself. Don't, but don't miss all the goodwill and good energy coming your way. Okay, so that leads us, I'm a little bit behind here, uh, to the, the next step, logical step. As the more we learn to love ourselves and really get who we are, the more we have a beautiful, loving connection with others, wise relationship. And the Buddha talked about this. It's right there in the Eightfold Path in those, those three aspects, wise speech, wise lively, uh, action, and wise livelihood, that we are relational beings. And it's a great source of joy, isn't it? But it's this paradox how we long for intimacy and yet sometimes we're afraid. Or the people that we care about so much, most, are sometimes the ones that can be most painful. Isn't that so interesting? Or that 50% of marriages end with divorce, at the start of which they say, I have found my partner, my life partner. And then um, it doesn't work out. That's a shame. And a lot of it is just somehow miscommunication or, um, or people acting in a confused way. But there was something that was there at the heart of that spark. And so connection with others and being as skillful as we can get some water, um, in our relationships is a really valuable source of joy. When we feel isolated or disconnected, it's painful and it's lonely. 
and we can actually work on and cultivate this feeling of of kindness and well-wishing and well-being um, in a very conscious way. It's one of the things about the metta practice. We can cultivate it. I just wanted to share with you a little bit about the distinction between metta and its near enemy. As I think I said, then uh, maybe it was in one of the groups, each of the four sublime abode, divine abodes, sublime states of metta, you see the buildings, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy or joy and equanimity. Each of them has a near enemy that disguises as that wholesome feeling. And the near enemy of loving kindness is attachment. It looks like love, but it's painful. And love is, true love is not painful. It just is very closely enmeshed in attachment, which is just part of being human. But to separate those out and to let the, let the love lead in the relationship instead of the agenda or the expectation. This is a, a very powerful aspect of practice. And just to show you the difference so you can see for yourself, once again, a little exercise that, that um, would convey more than my words. Um, you might close your eyes for a moment and bring to mind someone who's really important in your life, uh, a key relationship that really matters to you. And this doesn't only have to be an uncomplicated relationship. It can even be a complicated relationship. In fact, go for that. Just in this little exercise, okay? And there you are. First, have them right in front of you and remember why they're so important to you and why they touch you and why they matter. And that you really want to see them happy. When they're truly happy, suppose you're enjoying something together and you're happy together, how sweet it is. And just for a few moments, wish them happiness, like the basic meta phrases. May you really be happy. And know that I really care about you and, and wish you well. You might see them smiling back. And just notice how good that feels to just wish them well. Just because it makes you happy. Now, for a moment, this next part of this little exercise, get in touch with how it feels when you want something from them when you don't want them to disappoint you or you're afraid that they'll blow it in some way. 
or you have an agenda for them. Notice how that feels. Please don't disappoint me. And notice how it feels in your body and in your mind and in your heart. I won't leave you here, take a nice breath. And now, once again, remember what it's like to wish them well and just see them happy. I really do want to see you happy and wish you well. May you really be happy and, and see all all the beautiful things that I see. And again, notice how it feels. Could you see the difference between the two? It's so... It's so amazing, the same person that's the source of well-being in a moment, as soon as we have an agenda, there's a contraction. Oh, what if they take my love or they disappoint me? And of course, it's, it's important to be realistic and, ex and have, expect people will be trustworthy and, uh, and, and, and follow through. But the more agenda we have for people, whether it's our children or our 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 good friends or our loved ones. When somebody is just wishing you well, how do you feel being around them? Great, right? And what happens when you feel they've got an agenda for you? Don't blow it. You can you contract. You don't want to move into that energy field. So that's where metta is both the protection and the invitation. It, it brings that out in others. Connection with others. Let's see, there's not enough time to go through all of this. Just one thing, one thing more I'll, I'll, I'll say about this and then move on. Mm. A key, it's one of the principles that I've been trying to communicate uh, in, in the other um, wholesome states in this, this approach that we're doing is to look for the good. The more you look for the good, the more you will see it because there's that confirmation bias and the more you'll actually bring it out of people. It's how it works. As I often say, suppose you're, you're in a room and somebody comes in and you can, you sense that they're judging you and looking and noticing all your flaws. How does that feel? How do you feel? Flawed, right? or small, or defensive. You can feel it. Somebody else might come into that room and they might know all your flaws, all your weaknesses, 
but you get that they're just seeing how beautiful you are and they're tuning into that. How do you feel? Beautiful, don't you? Because they're seeing it and you can feel that they're seeing it. There's a very palpable energy connection. So what you look for, you actually can draw out. Not always. You can't do it with everyone. Remember, like I said, the Buddha was the teacher of those who could be taught. Uh, but for the most part, you've got a much better chance of bringing that out by looking for the good. <coughs> like the Babemba tribe, reminding someone of their, of their goodness. And when somebody does something that's hurtful to you or, or confused, we talked about forgiveness, it's really people get confused and do things because they don't see clearly. I, I once heard the Dalai Lama, uh, I love this teaching, he said, um, when somebody upsets you, chances are it's not that they're doing, doing it purposefully to hurt you, although that can happen at times, but most of the time, it's just that their internal reality is intersecting with your internal reality in a way that does not meet your hopes and expectations. But we're all walking around with our own internal reality that makes sense to us. And we're sure that we're right. right. Have you ever felt that? If only everybody would see it the way I see it, you know, what a different world this would be. Everything would be solved. As one 13-year-old, uh, uh, very wise being that, I, I, that Jane and I met in uh, 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 Trinidad, Trinidad uh, said, she said, I've... I'm, uh, I'm working on an invention that, uh, the invention that I think can lead to world peace. And I said, oh yeah, tell me now. She said, yeah, it's called a perspective helmet. <laughs> I said, well, how does it work? She said, well, you put it on and instantly you can see and understand the perspective of the person you're with. I said, I think you got something there. If you can figure out how to do it, world peace so it's just a matter of trying to understand why somebody does the confusing things that they do even the hurtful things that they do even the bizarre things that they do from their conditioning from their from their temperament from their whatever they're going through all the factors just like when we do things that are off in the same way, we get confused. And the more you see it when you blow it, as humbling as it is, it's a springboard to compassion. Seeing, oh yeah, sometimes I do some things that are off and they just got confused and lost in their thoughts. Doesn't mean you, for, you condone or you have to be in their, in their space all the time but to just understand with compassion, like, like Kuan Yin, just seeing all the suffering 
with that wise, compassionate understanding. And that leads to the last, um, the, the ninth step. I won't get to the tenth step today. Uh, which is just the natural extension of this connection with others. Which, by the way, can in, includes forgiveness and loving kindness and delight in the joy of others, sympathetic joy and, and, and enjoying and playing with others, all in that connection. And the, the ninth step, the next step, is a profound form of connection which is the compassionate heart. Compassion. Which is defined as the quivering of the heart in response to another's suffering. It's one thing to feel love and to feel a connection, but it's a whole other to be touched by somebody's suffering, maybe that you don't even know. Isn't it interesting that we're wired up that way? We're wired up for compassion. We have these mirror neurons in our brain. Somebody stubs their toe and you feel it and in your brain it lights up where you would stub your own toe. Or somebody is going through a hard time and there's a place in you that says, oh, that's, I'm so hard, I feel so bad. No. Or you go to a movie, we pay good money for this, right? You know, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to her? <laughs> Yay, she got it, all right. We're, we root for others and we feel others' pain and sorrow if we can have our, our hearts open to it. And so the compassionate heart is really uh, the full flowering of that connection. And it's interesting that is defined the com compassion, the quivering of the heart in response to suffering. Compassion is a sublime state and yet it requires suffering. Suffering is a prerequisite for this sublime state. Not that suffering is sublime. Of course it's not. But what it evokes, the caring in our heart, is truly sublime. Oh, I really care. And you're moved often to want to make a difference and care. We're wired up for compassion. It feels good to care. The Dalai Lama has this, this um, expression. He, he talks about compassion as being a, a, a source of selfish altruism. And he says this is a good thing. We sometimes are moved to be altruistic because it feels good. It feels good to be there for others. He says, it's okay. Let yourself feel that goodness. Not that it's up to you to go around fixing everybody or, or rescuing or saving the world. That's too much. And in fact, if you're going around trying to fix everyone or rescue, then you've 
sometimes have fallen into the near enemy of compassion, which is pity, which is, oh, they, you know, it's hard for you to, to see that, that suffering and you, you've got to do something about it. Sometimes compassion just means being present and a caring energy field. You know, when you're going through a hard time, say you're going through a hard time and a, and a good friend is there with you and it's really distressing them and they say, oh, oh, this is so terrible. Oh, I feel so bad for you. What can we do about this? This is really, really tearing me apart. How does that feel? <laughs> then you got to fix them or take care of them. You know. Oh, I was having a hard time enough now. You know, not, not, that doesn't feel so good. But if somebody says, wow, this must be really hard. I just want you to know I really care. I'm really here for you. And they let you just go through what you go through and give you the space and, and loving environment to do that. There's a healing in that. So don't go around rescuing. It's actually, it can be disempowering. First see what's, what's called for and start with just being a loving presence. And then there are times that actually action is called for, whether it's somebody close to us or somebody far from us or a bigger issue that touches your heart. And this is where compassion is so important in this world. But compassion needs to be balanced with equanimity. And if you, if you see in the, in the back there is there that Kuan Yin statue. There she is seeing the cries of the world and there she is in her relaxed repose. She feels all the pain and the sorrow and the suffering in the world and yet she's centered and says, yes, this is how it is and what can I do to skillfully respond? That means to find a sense of centeredness and balance that says, this is how things are and how can I respond wisely? And the world needs our wise response. As one friend says, we're in a race between fear and consciousness. And in the long run, consciousness is stronger than fear. Who knows if we have enough time, but you bringing your own caring and love to your compassionate action makes a difference because it's contagious as a I think I said a few days ago, if you can go underneath the outrage to the caring and the love and find what really moves you, it feels good to contribute and make a difference. Your practice here is not just for yourself. Everybody benefits from it. And you don't have to go around exhausting yourself by taking care of all the sufferings that you see. Andrew Harvey has a, 
a, a, a beautiful line. He says, he wrote this beautiful book um, called The Hope, A Guide to Sacred Activism, Andrew Harvey. And he says, follow your heartbreak. See where your heart is breaking and do something that addresses that feeling of helplessness. Uh, as another teacher, uh, Angelus Arian, would say, action absorbs anxiety. Once we put our caring into action, we are feeling connected and has a, a place for that, that caring to be expressed. So to see this as a, um, as a natural flowering of our practice, what's called the bodhisattva ideal, where you see your own awakening in the context of being beneficial to others. And I'll, I think I'll close with um, this passage from uh, Nyosho Kempo, the same one that I, uh, that I read from before about seeing your own Buddha nature. This is what he says. We are not practicing for ourselves alone since everyone is involved and included in the great scope of this perfectly pure motivation to benefit others. Whatever else we might do is really secondary to that. If we cultivate this good heart inside, this altruistic, unselfish attitude, then all strife and struggle will naturally be pacified, purified, transformed in us, and become beneficial to others through contact with this good heart, which we, the bodhisattvas, strive to embody. And so it becomes a kind of, as Julia Butterfly Hill says, a joyful responsibility to express your caring in this world. A great source of joy. Because you have all that love inside and it just needs to be expressed in whatever way really touches you and moves you and nourishes you. So, loving ourselves, connection with others, and the full flowering of uh, compassion. <clears throat> okay, so that's enough for now. Let's sit for a moment. Thank you very much for your attention.
Um, so we'll have a, oh, just a 15-minute uh, stretch uh, and get some air. And we'll come back for one last uh, sitting and a little bit of metta uh, and uh, a little treat at the end. So come and join us. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.